One of the upsides of the COVID pandemic for me has been getting to know Betsy through a weekly Zoom meeting the sisters in our area have had to stay connected. I'm so excited for you to meet this angel and be inspired as I have been by her. Some neat things Betsy and I wanted to mention to you before you listen are that one year after her baptism, she was asked to share her conversion experience in our state conference. Then, all church meetings were canceled that week. What you hear in this podcast is what Betsy had beautifully written, committed to memory, and was going to share in that meeting. Also, since our recording, she has had a birthday and is now a beautiful 78 years old. I know you are going to love and appreciate Betsy as much as I do. We both wish you much joy and thank you for listening. Welcome. This week we are talking about hearing him. And I was thinking we've been noticing so much in the Come Follow Me lessons, the process of how God changes people and how God does his work with us. And there's been so many examples in the scriptures of how people because they hear him, they have a mighty change of heart. Or when they have a mighty change of heart, they begin to really hear him. But I thought either direction, I don't know the cool word to use behind that, you know, have a mighty change of heart and hear him, or hear him and have a mighty change of heart. I think it goes both directions. And then I ask you to just consider your mighty change of heart and what you've noticed because having a mighty change of heart that's like a really big story that would go in the book of mormon or your book of life right there's like those kinds of mighty changes of heart and then there's other things to consider about our hearts and i think that's what i love about alma 5 is it's an incredible place to ask ourselves how's your heart and you wouldn't probably be reading Alma and caring about come follow me and following a prophet of God if you didn't know about a change of heart and wanting to change your heart. Alma asks over 40 questions in there that we can consider about our hearts and where we're at with that. And so... Just as it relates to hearing him, I wanted to read you a little quote by Sister Jones in her talk, An Especially Noble Calling. In it, she says, Elder James E. Talmage tenderly reminds us, the world's greatest champion of women and womanhood is Jesus Christ. In the final analysis of women's continuing roles in the restoration and for us, and for us all, what role is permanent. I testify that it is to hear him, to follow him, to trust him, and to become an extension of his love. I know he lives in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen, she says. That's how she ended her talk, that the permanent role of women is to testify, is to hear him, follow him, trust him, and become an extension of his love. I have such a testimony of 
the role of women and how our hearts affect lives. They just affect lives so much and they matter a lot. Everybody's heart matters, but I think women are given a special heart that supports God's work because God has a work to do with all of his children. And not only do women have children to help Heavenly Father's plan work and partner with him in that, but they also have special gifts from heaven because we're Heavenly Father's daughters that help us to support his work. One more thing I wanted to read, and then we're going to move on to this next piece. But in Alma chapter 5, the verses to highlight that I think really talk about this mighty change of heart. And before Alma starts asking all of these questions, he says, And now behold, I ask of you, my brethren of the church, and so we're going to say, sisters of the church, have ye spiritually been born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenance? Have ye experienced this mighty change of your hearts? Do ye exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you? Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality and this corruption raised in incorruption to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in the mortal body? And then just keeps going on asking, can you imagine yourself feeling like this and doing this? Do you think about these things or not? Do you remember my father Alma and everything that he did and that he had this mighty change of heart? There's just so many things in here. But I felt impressed, and I waited till the very last minute to do this. But all morning, and I really felt it strong, I had the impression that you should call Betsy and ask her to help you with this discussion. And so I did. I called her, and I said, Hey, Betsy, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I wondered if you would be willing to share your journey of your heart and your conversion story. And I thought, oh, I don't know Betsy really well. I don't know if she'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. But she was like, well, sure, I could do that. But then I'll let her tell you if she wants to. But after she told me that she'd already considered sharing this and been working on it a bit, I thought, okay, now I know that was the spirit this morning. So Anyway, I told Betsy that I would just love her to share for as long as she wants to share. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn the time over to you. Okay. So I'm 77 years old, and I was just baptized last June. I got my limited temple recommend, and three weeks later, with the help of some friends, I baptized and confirmed my parents in the Ogden Temple. I received my patriarchal blessing three weeks ago. And I can't tell you how amazing and moving these experiences were and how happy I am to be where I am now. And it's all because of my neighbors and friends in the Mountain Green community who were constantly kind and loving and thoughtful and never pushed but never gave up on me. I moved here about 10 years ago. As soon as I arrived, I started seeing that the people in this community are kind way beyond what I had experienced in other communities. They are kind as a way of life. 
Joseph Smith once said, when persons manifest the least kindness and love to me, oh, what power it has over my mind. And I'm pretty sure he is amazed and pleased at how the people in this community have taken the meaning of kindness to a whole new level. Within my first two weeks of being here, many people stopped by my house to introduce themselves and welcome me to the neighborhood and to ask if there was any way they could help. And they didn't just ask. They thought of ways and did them, like bringing me a telephone directory and taking me shopping for a snowblower. I came from California, so I didn't bring a snowblower. And inviting me to luncheons and book clubs and other kinds of get-togethers like service projects and always letting me know they were available if I needed help. They always wave at me when I'm walking my dogs, and it's not just the adults who are kind. Young people always say hi too, and always have some sweet comment to make. And my neighbors also found ways I could help and contribute. Like several times they asked me to give demos with my dogs. And looking back now, I'm not sure they really wanted to see those demos, but I know that they knew I would love giving those demos, and that's why they asked me. And when my first grandchild, Sophie, was born, several neighbors came, made beautiful soft blankets for her. And later on a cold winter night when the power went out, it was probably five minutes tops before they came by to see if that baby and I were doing okay. And when my grandson, Cam, was born two years later, the neighbors again brought beautiful blankets. He was born with Down syndrome and autism. And when they brought those blankets, they all told me that those special children were always sent to special families. And I just can't imagine anything nicer to say to a family just adjusting to the news of a special needs child. And I have seen that attitude carried out by all his teachers and aides and helpers and bus drivers and by the other children. And our family has experienced nothing but kindness from those dear people. And when my husband was sick, I was spending lots of time with him in the hospital, and there was always food on the porch when I got home. And their friends and family had traveled here to visit him. There was even more food. There was always enough food. Time went on, and a good friend who was leaving on a mission with her husband asked me if I'd like to read the Book of Mormon with her. She had calculated that if we read one chapter a day, we would finish the book just as they were coming home. I hadn't really thought about reading the Book of Mormon at that point, but I loved that couple so much and was really going to miss them and realized what a great way that would be to stay in touch and count the days till they came home. And so, of course, I said yes. And that was my first time reading the Book of Mormon. By now, I've been living here about seven years, loving my neighbors, loving and appreciating all their kindness, and still attending a Protestant church downtown. And about that time, I got kicked in the head by a mama moose. She was in my yard, and it was dark, and I was taking the dogs out, and I had them on leash. I don't remember what happened, but based on the prints my son-in-law found, we know she was asleep with her baby, and I think she was startled awake by a sound that worried her, and there we were. Anyway, she only kicked me once, and she let the dogs and me get back inside, and it was all a big misunderstanding, and we're still friends, and actually I'm grateful to her. Because talk about kindness. The neighbors immediately found caregivers to take care of my grandchildren. And they also took care of my dogs and cats. And they also visited me in the hospital and brought food to my sister who came from California to help. And brought food to both of us after I got home. 
and all my neighbors were also praying for me. And this was new to me, to be among people to whom prayer was so important and so natural and so much a part of daily life. I'm sure all those prayers played a major role in my healing. Anyway, it took that kick in the head to make me finally get it that the commonality of all this kindness was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to ask myself, why was I going all the way downtown to church when I had a wonderful church right around the corner? And so I started going, and I started learning. And it was wonderful. Everyone welcomed me and made me feel comfortable, and no one pushed me to do more than just come. I loved the sacrament services and the fact that all the talks were given by people from the ward, my friends. I loved hearing all the testimonies on Testimony Sunday and all the comments made in Relief Society, many of which were also testimonies. The talks and comments made everything so real. This wasn't a church that just happened only on Sundays. This was a church people lived every day. And part of that was the kindness I'd been experiencing for so many years. And I loved my studies with the missionaries and was particularly struck by the plan of salvation. Like many people, it was really hard for me to understand why Heavenly Father let innocent people and innocent animals suffer. Learning about the plan of salvation and agency helped a lot with my worry about the innocent people suffering, but not so much about innocent animals. I didn't understand why Heavenly Father hadn't set things up so that all the animals were vegetarians and didn't have to kill each other to eat. But then it occurred to me that maybe the animals had a choice too, and maybe they chose to be animals because the time away from Heavenly Father would be shorter. So I tested that idea out on the missionaries and some of my friends. Of course, they were all very kind about it. They didn't confirm it, but they told me what they knew about how kind animals can be to each other. And they brought me beautiful and comforting verses from our scriptures about animals and how they should be treated with kindness and how they too are living souls and how they will be vegetarians in the millennium. So I still think making all animals vegetarians right now here on earth would have been a good idea. But now I am willing to say with Nephi that I know the Lord has a wise purpose I know not. Time went on, and several of my neighbors told me they were praying and fasting for my grandson Cam for his upcoming surgery. Fasting. So far I'd avoided fasting. But now, of course, I started fasting and saying special prayers for Cam on fast Sundays. Then finally I realized how much I really wanted to be part of this church. I wanted to have the Holy Spirit to help me and a living prophet to guide me. I wanted to see my husband and parents and family and friends again. I wanted to be a real part of a ward that organizes things so everyone is watched over by someone and everyone has someone to watch over. And I thought, I really want to be baptized. But I was a little hesitant because I wasn't sure how my daughter and son-in-law would feel about it. While I was thinking about that, some neighbors offered to give Cam a blessing in advance of his surgery. I very much wanted that blessing for him, but I knew I needed to ask my daughter first if it was okay with her. I was a little worried about asking her, but I did. And her immediate response was, sure. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm on a roll here. And so I added, and I guess I'll go ahead and get baptized. And she said, oh, okay. And of course, I couldn't have received more support for that decision from everyone in the ward. It was an amazing experience filled with love and, of course, kindness. 
I testify that through all the help and love from my neighbors and their testimonies in the Book of Mormon and all the scriptures and wonderful teachings and the help of the Holy Spirit, I have truly experienced a mighty change of heart. I am not the same person as I was before I moved here. I'm lots happier and more at peace, and I'm pretty sure I'm kinder. And I'm so grateful and happy and feel so blessed and so thankful to all my wonderful friends and neighbors for never giving up on me. And I pray that I'll never disappoint them. There's a prayer that dog lovers understand, and some of you probably know it. And it's, Dear Heavenly Father, please help me to be as good as my dog thinks I am. And now I have added to that prayer, Dear Heavenly Father, please help me to be as good as my neighbors think I am. And please help me to make a difference in someone's life the way these dear people have in mind. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for asking me. <laughs> so grateful. It was such a gift for us to be here and hear you share that with us. I have a lot of questions for Betsy, you know, but I just think there are so many things. I just love people and I love to know more about people and their story and how God's moved in their life and their journey uh, to finding him and how they've noticed his hand in their life. And so anyway, I just thought, Surely, as you consider Betsy and her story, you know, from my perspective, I, I told Betsy, I said, well, the best I know about you is the little package that my daughter and I prepared for her when she was going through a hard time and then seeing her walking with her dogs and how amazing her hair is for being her age. <laughs> and then I also, I remember her husband and she walking their dogs together. But really, I don't know a lot about Betsy's journey. I was just thinking, what brought you here to Mountain Green? And you said you came from California. How long were you there, and what did you do there? Oh, <laughs> well, I was there most of my working life. And so my husband, Norm, was a physician. He worked with Global Health Missions, and he went to some place in Africa and helped with health, anything that was needed. And he went every time he had a vacation. And so then when he retired, he wanted to spend half of every year in Africa doing that. And I was still working when he retired. But my daughter, Elisa, was here and her husband, and I thought, well, and I could work from home. So I thought, well, he's in Africa. I would like to be home. I would like to be where Elisa is, and then I could work from home. And so that's why I came out, to be with her. And, and then I would, the idea was to go back and forth then, which I did. But then my husband died in 2013. And so then I just moved here. And yeah, so that's why I'm here. But, you know, it was just so wonderful that, that he brought me here because Elisa was here because she wanted to study uh, forensic science. And that was before CSI got popular, but Weber State had a program in forensic science. And so we hadn't thought of coming to Utah, but there were only four places in the U.S. that had such a program at the time, and Weber State was one of them. Wow. And the others were on the East Coast. So Lisa came here, so that's what really started it. I'm so glad. <laughs> Truly, that is so cool. And yeah, this is a great 
perfect place to move to if you're going to go to Weber State. Yeah. Wow. And what was your career that you did? Well, I started out back when computers filled a whole room. And we used punch cards to program them. And I was working with a, a professor at Stanford who, who thought that computers would be a great way to teach math long distance. And so I think we were probably the first, I believe he's the first one that had in mind to do that. But the problem was that the way you received instruction then, if you were look remote from your computer, what you were sitting at was a teletype. And teletypes were really noisy. And so it wasn't surprising that no school wanted to have a whole lab full of teletypes so that they could get instruction from Stanford that their teachers could do very nicely just standing in the room with them. But this guy wouldn't give up. So he got the idea that we would put them in Gallaudet School for the Deaf in Washington, D.C., because the deaf kids couldn't hear the teletypes and the teachers wouldn't care either. Yeah. And so we actually uh, transmitted drill and practice lessons in mathematics to Washington, D.C. from Stanford. And I'm pretty sure that was the first long-distance education program in this fact. Yeah. So that was a fun thing to be part of. And then after that, computers got better and we got better. So we ended up designing, you know, you could take all your mess from us. Yeah. So did you have an education in computer science or programming, or was it something you just learned along the way? <laughs> well, I had a, a background in math, okay. and then computers were pretty new, so I did know a little programming. And then I just got lucky and got together with this professor. when I, as part, I was taking a program at Stanford then and got hooked up with him. It was just one of those, you know, knew someone who knew someone type things. Wow. Yeah, that's so awesome. I love hearing that. So I started at Stanford with a, a master's that gave me a teaching credential and a master's in educational science. And then I did teach in public schools for a little while. And, you know, I did okay. I think my goal was to make the kids like math, and they, they always said they didn't, and English was a lot more fun. And they taught me, and we actually put on a play, because they said that English put on plays and math didn't, so we did. So I did okay, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> and so it seemed like it'd be easier to go back to school and get a higher degree. <laughs> so then I went back to Stanford and got a PhD in, in educational research Was this guy. And so my research, of course, was on long distance learning. Wow, that's really fascinating. That was awesome, Betsy. Thank you so much for sharing. You're so sweet. One of the things I love about Betsy is well before she was baptized, probably like the year before, she was coming to church and I saw her in the hall. I'm like, how are you doing? She's like, I'm good. I said, did you have a good weekend? I, I miss seeing everyone because it was right after conference. And she's like, yeah, wasn't conference wonderful? And I'm like, okay, so our non-member is, you know, and then she talked to me about visiting teaching. And I'm like, our non-member is watching conference and going visiting teaching. And she's such a rock star. <laughs> I wish we could all be like Betsy. You're a wonderful example. So you have to realize all I do is copy you guys. No, you're amazing. So thank you for that. I was thinking about your question that you posed, Karen, about hearing him and having a change of heart and having a change of heart and hearing him. 
and that like catch 22 cycle that you're talking about and how important that is in our life and how that can um, make such an impactful difference to us is sometimes you're not super confident when you're living a gospel principle that maybe you, you don't have a really great testimony of, but you do it anyway. And then you gain a testimony of it and you want to do it even more. And you feel it, it just becomes a part of you and how that changes us and changes our hearts. And I think that that's the wonderful thing about Alma 5 and all of those questions. And when I was in Young Women's and was doing the Young Womanhood Recognition, and that was one of the projects that you could do, one of the questions that you could do for like Divine Nature, I think, was to go through all, write down all of the questions that are in Alma 5. Ridiculous long list, but amazing to actually write them down and actually think through what your answer is to those questions because it's it's a really great inventory a really good personal inventory how am i doing and i've done that every year since then i just turned it into part of my goal setting you know how am i doing what do i need to work on and those those questions that are in the scriptures are a great way to figure out, you know, what is an area where I need to work on? And just to get you that little jump start of doing better. So I love that question of hearing him and having a a, that change of heart. I think it's so important. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So good. One of the things I noticed too, in the way that he asked his questions and posed them, a lot of them were like, imagine things. Mm -hmm. you know, can you see things? Can you see yourself this? Imagine this. Yeah. It makes me think sometimes we kind of get in a, just in a kind of a limited thinking mode where this is as high as I think, you know, like I just always stay about right here and think right here about me, my life, how things are going. It's just kind of a numb and dumb place, but I show yeah. up and I do things. But then I think his questions and the way he words them invite us to think above the way we feel. Mm -hmm. Like think higher than where yeah. you are. Like Yeah, ra raise the bar. Yeah. To me, I think it just is such a good reminder that our agency or our choices to act above the way we feel or see things above the way we feel, because we all have lots of feelings about lots of things, right? And so I just think it's such an incredible invitation to consider that even how we, with our choices, how we feel to act when we're feeling certain ways and do it higher, like an invitation to look up, hear him, you might feel that and be in this place where it's kind of numb and dumb and it's your mode, but you can do higher than that. Like, can you see it? Yeah. Can you visualize it? It's just, I love that. That just so good. Yeah. And sometimes if you can't visualize yourself in a certain place, mm -hmm. it's because of something you're doing that's holding you back. You know, and so you can kind of figure out what, what is it that's keeping me from seeing myself that way? 
-hmm. because we all we know we have that potential and we know we can we can achieve that so what's what's our stumbling block what's holding us back what's tying us down and how do we how do we change that so they're great great questions yeah yeah you know I have to add one piece to that you know sometimes it's just noticing what do I need to do what am I doing that's limiting me sometimes I think one of the biggest dangerous traps that I notice I've fallen into and other people do too that I associate with quite often is that it's not so much what I'm doing because I am doing or acting or wanting to, I desire to do all the right things and I'm trying to do all the right things, but I haven't been able to, uh, so it's not what I'm doing, it's that my beliefs and the way that I'm thinking are so limited in allowing me to accept that me just being perfect at trying is good enough, you know? Me just trying is good enough, and showing up is good enough, and doing the best I can is good enough. But if we have that thing like, I need to do more, or what am I doing that's, that's causing this, I'm doing something wrong, that's why I feel like this. Sometimes it's not what we're doing, it's the way that we're limited in our thinking about what we're doing, and thinking that God expects us to be all of that, then we can be above the numb and dumb. So I really think that that is important. It was really important for me to have come to a realization that I can have a mighty change of heart even while I'm being a hot mess. Betsy, coming back to you, I just have to ask you, you said that you were going down the canyon to the Protestant church when you were in California and when you and your husband got married and all of that, were you always a member of a church? Like, did you always have God in your life or was it something that you did together or before you met him? Yeah, we did. My, when I was little, we, we were in the Episcopal church, but Norm's family was a Lutheran family. Okay. And so then we got married. Then I was going to the Lutheran church with him and he did all that wonderful work he did in Africa was through Global Health Missions, which is a Lutheran organization. Right. So, yeah, we, we always did. But, it, I mean, oh, you can't imagine how much I wish I could talk everything over with him now. Because yeah, I think he would love everything that I love. Yeah, and just you saying, I think he would love everything I love, just the fact that you say that says that's probably true. I know. You know, we're just so happy that brings you joy. But it just makes me think, I would imagine, because it sounds like you had a good relationship with your husband where you could talk things over. He probably cares so deeply about the joy you found and really would love to talk to you about it. And that's a neat thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for that. That's really all very helpful. Well, I couldn't help but think about the sacrament when I was considering this topic too, because I was thinking, you know, there are daily things that we do that help us to keep our minds and our hearts in a place where we can hear, hear him. And that really some of the biggest battles we face 
you know, aren't the hardest things in our life. It's really just to keep the spirit with us, you know, and to remember that even if you're being a really messy girl, Karen, you can still call down the powers of heaven and ask to have an ability beyond where you're at to hear him and to ask for blessings. Even if you feel like I'm just a mess. And I have found that setting up things in my life that are routines that I try to consistently do that just open that conduit. And some days they look ridiculously weird, the things that I do. They're just little and teeny and they hardly even happened. But I think that you do that too. And I just think the sacrament is such evidence of Christ's yearning for us. He just yearns for us to be with him and to remember him and to hear him. I know that he gave us that beautiful ordinance of the sacrament so that we would remember and be reminded and have the ability to be renewed each week as we partook and remembered our promises and our covenants that we made when we were baptized. But I think it's also evidence that he just yearns for us to remember him and not to limit our changes in our hearts because of our short thinking, our low thinking. To just know his character is that he really yearns to be with us, no matter what kind of mess we are. And that ordinance is evidence that just keep coming, keep coming, keep remembering. I think he knows how hard it is to remember and how challenging it is in mortality to continually have a change of heart. And I, I'm grateful for Alma 5 that we have something that reminds us there's a check-in. There's ways to check in. You know, the sacrament is one of those ways, but even just feasting upon the words of Christ and looking at things like Alma 5 to just consider, how's my heart? Well, thank you for helping us to feel the spirit of the importance of just sharing our hearts and having our hearts open to help people, and also it's incredible to just consider how the Lord does his work by having us help each other. So thanks for being here, and oh, Betsy, we are so grateful for you sharing what you did tonight. It was so beautiful. Well, thank you.